This is a reminder, you are listening to the delayed broadcast here on Faith FM. If you would like to listen to the live show and interact with Mon and myself for the breakfast show, then simply go to faithfm.com.au and press play or use the Tune In radio app. And this is Encounter with God. You're listening to Faith FM. Mon has stepped out of the studio. Harley is here. Harley, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. And, of course, again. Kelvin is staying on with us for the Bible study. Welcome to the show, Kelvin, Morning, once again. Morning, thank you. Yep. Okay, so we've got some uh, great Bible study passages that we're going to be getting into this morning from Isaiah chapter 58, Psalms 115, if you want to start turning in your Bibles there. But before we do, a quickly re- quick reminder that, uh, of course, this is the 20 million movement, 20 million people studying the same passage of the Bible every day around the world. Harley, you've just come across, come home from being a Around the world, where have you been? I've been in Romania for one month working over there. And while you were in Romania, did you find people who were studying the same passage of the Bible that we I were studying did. here on Faith I FM? I did. You did? That's fantastic. That's awesome. Okay. So uh, you were able to go to um, some small group Bible studies and that kind of yep. thing? Yep. Over in Romania in some churches over there. And how much of it did you understand? I had friends translating for me. Okay. <laughs> so your Romanian skills are not up to uh, Bible study level yet? Yes, not up to that level yet. Okay. And, of course, uh, Kelvin, you're a local here. Um, this past weekend you were in Maitland, and I suspect you attended a small group Bible study studying the same passage of the Bible we there, did. right there in Maitland. We did, yes. As they were studying in Romania. And uh, you were also in Italy. Did you find uh, any small groups in Italy um, while you were there that studied this passage? No, I was only there for three days. Oh, okay. That's a little bit short. Three days? How do you do Italy in three days? That's like, um, anyway. Whirlwind tour. (laughs) Whirlwind tour, for sure. Okay, and also I just want to uh, put it out there. Some people were uh, actually mentioning this yesterday and encouraging me to say more about this. And that is this. If you are struggling with a weak signal or if you are in your car and you drive away from the signal and you are frustrated because we're halfway through our encounter with God or our interview of the day or any of other news sections, then the solution to that is to listen on your phone. Then you've got a great, uh, a great signal. Just you know, kind of wherever you go. Um, I did struggle with it, to be honest. I did struggle getting a signal in the Simpson Desert, but I had one in Birdsville. I had one in Birdsville, and I had one in Coward Springs, and that was uh, through an Optus connection, which was kind of random. But uh, yeah. Um, there was a couple of places out there where I couldn't listen to Faith FM. But pretty much anywhere around Australia you can listen to Faith FM. Okay, so just go to uh, your app store, download the free version of uh, the TuneIn Radio app. Search for Faith FM Australia um, and simply favorite it. And then you just hit the button and away it goes and you've got just a great signal wherever you go. And we want to encourage more and more people to be listening on the app because it is the ultimate way to listen to the radio. You just run it through your car stereo, um, through whatever means um, is suitable Bluetooth or an aux cord or um, whatever else that is convenient for you. Anyway, getting back to our Bible study of the day... Let's send our Bibles to a very famous passage of Scripture. Oh, 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 oh. The quiz. The quiz. Mon is not here to remind me about the quiz. Well, and so... luckily I am. All right. <laughs> Harley, give us, the, uh, give us the, the clue for the quiz. So this is, the, uh, the I believe, the fourth clue uh, that you guys are getting today. So Jesus was in this city 
when a paralytic was lowered through the roof. What city did that take place in? If you know the answer, then give us a call. 1-800-324-843 is the number to call, and there will be a prize coming your direction. Which city was the paralytic lowered through the roof? What city am I? Question. Okay. And uh, where are we up to? Bible study time. Okay, a very famous passage of the Bible, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6 and 7, please. Kelvin. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from the relatives who need your help. Okay. Wow. It's talking about me. When people come to the front door, I, I close the door, turn the lights off and go and hide. <laughs> <laughs> and Harley, who is a professional door knocker, ah. is probably well familiar with your type of person. <laughs> And, and and when that happens, Harley, yeah. how do you respond at the door? What do you you know? What's your what's your approach to um, waking people up? Um, I just smile and wave. Smile, Hello, smile, <laughs> smile and wave. Smile Hello, and wave. I know you're in there. <laughs> yes, I've done a lot of door knocking myself at times, and uh, the best is when you see someone peek through the curtains. And yeah. you just you put a big smile on your face and wave at them like, yes, I've seen you, I'm here, I know you're at home, you have to come and answer the door now and talk to me. <laughs> and it is a little frustrating when you're doing appeal for mission and you're knocking on the door, you can hear the radio or the television going, you know someone's home, but they will not answer. It's like, really? Where are you? Probably because they can't hear you knocking because they're listening oh, to the radio or the television. Oh. Or maybe they left it going to make it sound ah. like there was somebody at home. Maybe that yep. was their secret plan. Maybe you kind of never know, but uh, yeah, appeal for mission. You just gotta, you just gotta like respect the, uh, people's privacy, but also just pray mm. that God will bring the right people to the door. That's right, because you know, we don't, I don't I don't go out to annoy people when I go door knocking. I go out to find the people that God's sending me to to meet that day. Yeah, that's right. Indeed, uh, this is the case, and of course, uh, the people who get annoyed are the, not the, going to be the people that are going to respond to your. Um, your canvas anyway. Yeah, and the vast majority of people aren't annoyed. The vast majority of people, even if, oh, they, even if they say very, no. Very, very, very rare to find an annoyed person. Yeah, there's, a, there's this big myth out there that door knocking is people will hate you. Anyway. That's all right. I don't mind talking about door knocking. Door knocking is a good thing. Uh, the, Jesus sent his disciples out to go door knocking. It's, um, it's something that we should do and, and probably don't do enough. But we're here to talk about loosing the well, bonds uh, of, 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 of oh, oh, I think oh, 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 okay. free and undoing every yoke and that you do not hide yourself from your own flesh. I think this is Isaiah door knocking. Oh, you do? I reckon it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think that a, a good Bible worker knows which door to go knock on. And he's yes. got this inkling inside of him. And I, th- I think Isaiah knew what was going on in the spirit, the spirit of Israel at the time. Right. So he went there with a purpose to knock on the doors of their hearts, right, to bring them back to God. So I think this pa- passage explains Ooh. why. I think this explains he's, he's, partly he's knocking why on, he did on, on, on He's knocking on heart doors is what you're saying. Hmm, I think so. There's, okay. another, there's the other thing about door knocking as well is that there's two t- different types of door knockers. There's door knockers who go out to get, and there's door knockers who go out to give. Ah. And and that's what um, Isaiah is calling us to be. As we go out and 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 are working and in our spiritual life, if we're going to be doing good works in our spiritual life, 
These good works are not works for ourselves to make sure that we're fasting, we're praying, we're afflicting our souls, we're making sure we're right with God. He says, no, 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 this is the fast that I've chosen, that you're supposed to go out and give yourself to the world around you in service and in making the world a better place rather than just seeing what you can get from the world and how many converts you can make and how many uh, people you can add to your um, your personal group of, of, of followers. No, instead... How many notches you can place in the buttstock of your rifle kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. How many, how many proselytes have you won? Uh, but instead, how many people have you actually helped? Mm. How many lives have you made better? Mm. Mm-hmm. Wow. This yeah. is this- because this is something Jesus said. Jesus said later on in the, in, in the New Testament when he was speaking to the uh, uh, Pharisees, he says, you, send, you, you, you search the world from one end to the other to find a proselyte, to f- convert someone to your, to your way of thinking. And then once you've converted him, you make him twice the son of Satan as you are yourself. Yeah. Don't you love that verse? <laughs> this is a pretty full long verse. It's like <laughs> Jesus never held back, did he? Yeah, no, he doesn't. Jesus, um, you know, he just came straight out and said it. How, well, I'm, I'm remembering some... Uh, um, some context to this passage right here in Isaiah chapter 58. And it begins in verse 1 where it says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. I'm kind of wondering whether he's knocking at the doors of their hearts or he's actually beating on the door. He's right using here. a sledgehammer, but uh-huh, he's knocking on the door, uh-huh, yes. Yeah. He is absolutely uh, making his voice heard. And, uh, you know, verse 3, Wherefore have we fasted, they say, and you don't see us? Why have we afflicted our soul, and you do not take knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast you find pleasure, and exact all your labors. Okay, I'm wondering how you find pleasure, or how these people were finding pleasure. in. I have never found pleasure in a fast. Well, I'm better than you, because I've fasted for five days, you've only fasted for three. Actually, I've never fasted for more than one. No, no but I, I'm just, I, I think they were using it to, to get one over their, their colleagues, you know. I, like, wonder, I, I wonder how this would go if they, uh, I wonder how this would, would end up if they continued competing on the fast um, level. Um, you know, it might not end up so well in the very end. Uh. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so coming back to Harley, and, 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 and of course there we know that they didn't uh, take that competition too far because you take that competition too far, you might, uh, you might not survive. But um, Harley, you've got a passage there from Matthew you'd like to read for us. Oh, that was just the, the one I was referencing before I, I found the reference. Matthew 23, verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, that means a, con- a proselyte is a word for a converted, a converted to A convert. A convert. Yep. You make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. This is a pretty heavy, heavy passage right there because it's something that, um, you know, we as Christians are called to make proselytes. That's the reason for our existence. Mm-hmm. And it was the reason for the existence of the Jewish nation. Their purpose for existence was to make proselytes. Yep. But do we make them? Yes. Are they worse, twice the child are they of worse off for hearing what we have, you know, for, for, for it being associated with us than they would have been? If they did a spend in ignorance, that's the big question, and that's what Isaiah is really getting at here. Uh-huh. This is a religion about works that has no works of love. Okay, which is very interesting when you look at the uh, stats. I mentioned this the other day, uh, coming out of the United States, that uh, the people who are least likely 
to support the concept of having refugees come, and I'm talking about refugees, and I'm talking about illegal immigrants, mm-hmm. um, but the ones that are least likely to welcome refugees to the United States are white male Christians. Ouch. Yeah, ouch. Yeah. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Big ouch right there. How how could we as, as Christians get it so wrong? You know, I mean that's uh that's seriously uh that's seriously messed up right there. All right, so let's uh let's continue on here. Um our Bible study takes us to Exodus chapter 20 and we're going to read verse 2 through 6. And of course, for those of you who know your Bibles well, when we turn to Exodus chapter 20, what part of the Bible are we turning to? The Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. So this is the constitution of the government of God. This is God's law. And I want you to notice what the first two commandments focus on. Uh, Kelvin, you want to read those passages for us there? Exodus 20, verse 2 to 6. 2 to 6. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God before me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image or anything in the heavens or on the earth or on the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. Okay, so these first two commandments here are all about worship. What's the relationship between worship and the concept of worship and our first passage that we're reading there from Isaiah chapter 58? There's a connection between these two, and in fact, Isaiah chapter 58 references very, very strongly the Ten Commandments. It's the idea Isaiah 58 of, ends in the Ten Commandments. I, think, I believe it's the idea of God saying, I'm the God who's rescued you from bondage and from slavery. Therefore, you will be obedient. Okay. So if I do a good turn for you, does that mean that you then have to just obey me because I did something good for you? No, no, no. I didn't say it in that you will be obedient be, uh, in, in that way. It's that... You know, because I'm a God who rescues, I've freed you to be able to be obedient. Okay, so there's a contrast then between slavery and freedom, freedom. here. Yeah, slavery where you're required to obey because of uh, the, the arbitrary, punitive. arbitrary and punitive requirement of Pharaoh saying that you have to make bricks um, without, without straw and then you have to go gather extra straw and you have to make double your load just because I said so. Mm-hmm. And God saying, because I've, I've rescued you, you're now free to be able to um, have freedom and, 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 and worship me. And even, even if we can think about it over in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where it continues on um, in verse 12 in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where the Ten Commandments are being repeated once again. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As the Lord your God commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, and you should do no work. And down to verse 15. And you remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm, and therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Okay, the origin of the weekend. Mm. Now, we're Aussies. We love the weekend. This is called the land of the long weekend. Um, It's kind of something that we live for, and that's why we don't compete so well with... um, you know, some of these nations that uh, that like to only have a one-day weekend rather than two. But God, you know, he gave us a one-day weekend right here. But, you know, for those 400 years of slavery, uh, 
did they ever get a day off? No. They never, ever got a day off. And so the Sabbath would have been particularly special to that first generation who had actually lived as slaves because it's like seven days and one. You get to the next, to that seventh day, it's like, wow, what am I going to do today? And God says, you know, this day is a holy convocation. It's a holy gathering together. This is a time to, to gather together and to worship in community, to experience community, to experience each other's company, uh, to rest from all of your work. And, uh, you know, it's a symbolic, it's symbolic in, uh, you find it in Hebrews chapter four, you find that it is symbolic of the rest from salvation by works Mm -hmm. because it is resting in the grace of God and resting in His power, His creative power. It's symbolic of God's creative power to create us and both to recreate us. It's interesting how it uh, it references this in Isaiah chapter 58. So we started in Isaiah chapter 58, um, which is our kind of verse for the week. Um, we read verse 6 and 7, you know, is not the fast I've chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, uh, to give your bread to the hungry, uh, to bring to your house the poor who are cast out, and to clothe the naked. When you come down to the end of uh, Isaiah chapter 58, in verse 13, you find this statement. What have you got for us there, Harley? If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath and from doing your pleasure... On my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable, and will honor him, not doing your own ways, or finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you will delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Okay, so what does the Bible mean when it says, if you will turn your foot away from the Sabbath? That's kind of strange language for us here in our culture. Kelvin, you got any thoughts on well, that? Well, I, I think when it's talking about feet, it's talking about don't put yourself in a position where you're going to break the Sabbath. I think your feet determine where you go and what you okay, do. Okay, that's an interesting thought. So that's one concept I come across. All right, let me, let me toss this one out. When you go to the Middle East and you see carvings of victorious kings, you will often see them standing with one foot on the opposing king. All right, so these people are standing on the Sabbath. And in the Middle East, you know, the foot is a is an insulting part of the body. And if especially you, if you've got your feet on, then you're considered socially acceptable. If you've got a foot off, that's hum, a humiliation for someone. Uh-huh. Yeah. What we have to remember is these people here were keeping the Sabbath. These were not people who were breaking the Sabbath. Okay, all right. They were. They were. How they were, were they people. Keeping it? These were Sabbath keepers. Yes, they, they, they. These are fasters. These are Sabbath keepers. These are people who do their sacrifices to in the temple. Oh, these are good guys. Yeah, yeah. But what they're doing is they're using. They're, they're the ones. They're the ones who are keeping the Sabbath rather than allowing the Sabbath to keep them, which is the way that the God God had always atten- intended it to be. They're the ones, which is why when Jesus came, he said the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. They're using the Sabbath for their own personal gain yeah. uh, in, and their own personal uh, holiness and, and, and spiritual pride. Okay, so as men, and we're all men here today, we love to compete, right? Mm. We love games. We love competing. Um, Kelvin, I think you've driven you know, racing cars and At stuff like point, that. At some point, yes. <laughs> and it's always good. Harley, you're the... Uh, 
Is it the the second biggest scenario creator for Memoir Forty Four in the world? I think is your uh, current position. Claim to fame. Claim to fame. Yes, yeah, that's really a big claim to fame. I'm sure <laughs> everyone here knows what Memoir Forty Four is. It's a board game. <laughs> and uh, is how many scenarios are you up to now? Uh, yeah, about just under three hundred. Okay, that's pretty significant. Anyway, okay. So 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 we love to compete, and what you've got taking place here, what I see reading between the lines is people who were competing spiritually. Mm. You know, and we love to have these little markers. Um, and it's called, you know, and lots of people use it in marketing today. It's called gamification where you can create a little bit of competition and it makes us feel good when we do well and start to achieve things and, you know, get little markers or badges or whatever else it might be. Anyway, more on this in just a moment. This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine Let it shine Let it shine Welcome back, everybody. That was JJ Heller, this little light of mine here on Faith FM. We were talking about helping other people and being generous and that being an act of worship. Okay, so let's go over to the book of Psalms and let's read Psalms chapter 115. And Kelvin, I'm wondering whether you can read for us there. Psalms 115, we'll start, just start reading in verse 1. We'll see where we get to. There'll be things to comment on as we go through, I am sure. So Psalms one fifteen, beginning in verse 1. Reading through to verse 8. Not for us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and unfaithfulness. Why let the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens, and he does as he wishes. 
Their idols are merely things of silver and gold shaped by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, and noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, and feet but cannot walk, and throats but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. Now that's an wow. interesting passage right there. It's a very reminds me of a very similar passage where uh, in uh, the book of Isaiah, where the Bible talks about you know the guy who goes out and cuts a tree down, and half of it he uses to um, use for firewood, makes yep. himself warm, and Cooks the other dinner. half he forms into a god and uh, then bows, bows down, down and, and worships. worships it. Yep. Yeah. So it's uh, idolatry is an interesting concept. One that I think we often look at the ancient world and say they're very, very naive in that they worship pieces of wood and stone and gold and silver and so forth. That's not actually the case. Uh, the ancient world was not naive like that. The ancient world did not see those idols as being um, actual physical living beings. They saw those idols as being a representation of the god. So not being the God, but being a representation of the God. Uh, it was interesting. I was in a uh, temple one time. Uh, probably shouldn't say what country it was or what religion it was, but it had you know quite a bunch of idols in it. And it was interesting to see how the uh, the people were interacting with those idols. Um, you know, they'd, 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 they'd come up to the idol and they'd you know, put some food there for the idol and then they'd touch the idol and in some pretty intimate places at times and, and you'd be thinking, wow, you know, really, that's, um, that's interesting. I didn't expect to see that taking place. But anyway, needless to say, that was the, the, that was the custom with idolatry. And so, you know, when I see idolatry within Christianity, people say, oh, you know, I've, I've got these idols in my house or I've got these images in my house. They are not, you know, the actual person. I'm not worshipping the image. They just um, aid me in my worship by reminding me about that person. Well, it's really no different from any other form of idolatry. Um, people are not naive or stupid in our world today. However, when we go back to Exodus and we read those first couple of commandments that are there, and they are all about worship. They are then followed by the people saying, we will do this. Everything that God has said, we will do and be obedient. How long did that last? Mm, maybe two or three days. You're going two or three days? It might be a little bit longer than that. You reckon they started making that golden calf two or three days later? Well, they would have had to make it, start making it quite soon, you know, because it, it wouldn't happen overnight, would it? How long does it take to make a golden calf? Well, according to Aaron's version, he threw the gold in the fire and a calf came out. And it just accidentally came out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it appeared, so what was I to do? You know? You had to fall down. It was like the it. lamest excuse I ever came across. Yeah. But do you really think that no one in that entire camp sinned for the ne- in the next week or so? Okay, all right. I understand where you are coming from, and yes, it, those promises probably lasted about 30 seconds or less. Uh, however, if we calculate it through to the golden calf and the making of the golden calf, we know that the golden calf was, um, yeah, it was fully formed and being worshipped well before Moses got down to the bottom of the mountain, and that would not have happened overnight and so, you know, possibly some weeks it took them before they were actually worshipping a golden calf, which is, you know, is different from a sin that takes place inside your head. Mm-hmm. 
this is very bold. This is very out there. This is you know right at the at, at you know you you are in open rebellion against God. Very organized, very structured, very deliberate. Yes, which deliberate is- rebellion against God, which did not take take very long at all. So of course, um, you know, in our day and age, we are immune from that, right? Because we are wiser and smarter and have greater intelligence. No, we we still. Idol worship things, but without realizing it, I think. Okay, okay. And this is the connection between idol worship, worship, and oppression. Because when we think about our lives today, do you and I, and do Western secular people, typically have idols in our home, in the classic sense? In the classic sense, no. All right, so then how do we apply this passage to our time? Mm. I've stumped them both. Well, you can think of... Yeah, okay. The only way is to put God first, because if God is first, then it doesn't matter what else you do, it's in its proper place. But when anything else takes pride of place, then you're pushing God out of that worship center. Okay, so what is number one in your life is what you actually worship? (laughs) I think there's a really interesting lyric in the song The Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel where it says, the people bowed and prayed to the neon god they made. And that was written back in like the 60s. Mm. Uh, And it was, I believe, in reference to television at that time. Mm. But what do we have an even stronger neon god that we bow and pray to when when we open our eyes in the morning first thing? Instead of turning to God, do we turn on our phones and check Facebook? And what's the first thing that we worship in the morning? Where do we spend the most of our time? Ooh, ooh, that's that's cutting to the bone right there, isn't it? That, yeah, yes, indeed. So, uh, in your case, Harley, you want to uh, comment on that one? Or? <laughs> no, we, we don't need to. Uh, we need to take this um, each personally to our. Uh, um, you know, we need to take this to God personally and consider how do we start our day? Mm. What is the first thing that goes through our mind? And it's also, it's also not just how we start our day, but like throughout the day. You know, when we are feeling stressed, who do we turn to? Do we turn to, oh, let me just quickly just check my, my phone and see what's just get distracted for a little while? Or, or do we pray to God? You know, we have, you know, a much different um, idol today in i think in our in our western context and i mean obviously there's you know this is going across you know to all different types of people that are, are listening to this but first speaking personally as you know just your average australian uh young guy this would be you know that's that's the where's that that's where it's at for me to yep. me it's the focus is on do you have your worship stolen from you or do you give your worship to god like either way, we worship, mm. but we worship either knowingly or unknowingly. Are we deceived or are we intelligently worshiping? So to me, it's you've got to put God first to make sure that that is organised and it's uh, what's the word for it? Yeah, and here's it's a purposeful. Good, here's a good test for yourself: Where do your thoughts go? Where does your mind go when it goes into that free wheel mode? You know, when you've got nothing else happening and you just sit back and you relax, where, where does your brain automatically go? Does it automatically go to things of worship and service to others? Or does it automatically go to uh, things that are not involved in worship and service of yourself? 
Um, and I think screens have really taken up a lot of that free willing time today where, you know, we, we can't afford to, we just, we can't be bored anymore. And so our screens have taken up our time. The neon god that we have made, something that we need to be very wary aware of. I like that you've got the wool over your eyes. Cause it suits me fine to know that you don't even realize. I like the way that you don't question anything And I love the way that you go along with everything I've got you under my control And you, you don't even know, you don't even know And I've got you under my control And you don't even know and you don't even know just don't think about it live life to the full it doesn't really matter what's really real keep that veil real close oh don't peek through it doesn't really matter what's really true and it suits me just fine it suits me Fine. Cause you're trapped in your habits and you don't realize what you've lost till you're gone. And you're chained to your iPhone and you're stuck with your earphones and all the world is falling apart. But you wouldn't notice and the movies have captivated your soul and you'll, you'll never grow Everything good for you 
I've tried to show you, but people mind my name. People make you afraid of me. That's not what I'm like. Oh, search for me and know me for yourself, for yourself. I'm a good, good father. You're singing it in songs, and I'm really truly where you belong. And if you search for me through the clutter of this world, you'll dust me off and find me at the bottom of your shelf. Search for me. My arms are open wide. Search for me. My arms are open wide, and someone has pulled the wool over your eyes. Oh, please don't, don't be deceived by pretty little things. Please search deep for me. I gave my life to know you. Is forgiveness? Or the lack of forgiveness eating away at you? A relationship breakdown, maybe long-term hurt, unresolved conflict. You know it can be dealt with. If you want to break the cycle and start living a more forgiving life, Forgive to Live is a program designed to help us all improve our lives and be more forgiving. Don't let it eat away at you anymore. If you're keen to discover the power of forgiveness, why don't you take that first step and head to forgivetolive.org.au. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So oh. 
everybody that was sila with pass me not a gentle savior you're listening to faith fm let's have another clue for our quiz before we get into the question of the day what do you got for us there harley after leaving nazareth jesus lived in this city its name begins with a c okay what famous city in northern uh israel Begins with a C where Jesus spent a lot of time. All right, moving on. If you know the answer, 1-800-324-843 is the number to call. What have you got for question of the day for us there, Harley? So this is an interesting question. Uh, If everlasting hell doesn't mean lasting forever, 
in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Which how, it doesn't. How do we know that everlasting life means forever? Can you have it both ways? Absolutely, you can. And the reason you can have it both ways is by context. So there's a number of things that we need to take into consideration. The word forever today in the modern English does not mean forever. Necessarily. By context, it means forever. And so, for instance, if uh, you were running late for radio and when you eventually got here, I'm like, oh, I've been waiting forever for you to turn up. You know, we say that kind of thing all the time. It's an expression. Yep. And the Bible uses the word forever in exactly the same way. Um, I could show you 56 different places in the Bible where the word forever comes to an end. The Bible says that Samuel lived in the temple forever. No, he did not. The Bible says that Jonah was in the belly. Of, Jonah said he was in the belly of the whale forever. And I'm sure he felt like it, but no, he was not in the belly of the whale forever. Okay, so the word forever can come to an end. Uh, the question is, why is it that we say that forever in relationship to hellfire means that hellfire comes to an end, but in relationship to eternal life, it does not? Okay, context is what we need to look for. And in relationship to hellfire, our context is found amongst many other places in the Bible. But just to give an example, I'm going to give Revelation chapter 20 and verse 9, where it says they went up on the surface of the earth. This is the wicked surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city in the new Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The Bible does not say that the fire preserved them. And so whatever you will not find anywhere in the Bible that eternal life is ever promised to the wicked. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that those that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The only thing that is ever promised to the wicked, the wages of sin, is death. The Bible says that the fire devours them, and if you're confused about the word devour, then just come here to the Faith FM studio one morning and bring apple pie. We'll devour it. We will publicly demonstrate <laughs> what the word devour means. We will remove all confusion from your mind, and you will note that it does not mean preserve. Okay, so death and uh, devour are the words that are used in relationship to hellfire. The results of that fire are definitely eternal because nobody ever comes back from it. In contrast, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we find uh, a reference to the second coming. The Bible says, verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead shall be raised immortal. And we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. And when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Okay, so when the word everlasting is used in relationship to hellfire, the context is death and devouring. When everlasting is used in the context of eternal life, the context is immortality. Now, there's some other interesting points that you can uh, look at here, um, and we were just looking at a, a considering, you know, talking about this during the song break, because if you want to find true everlasting fire, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 14, the sinners in Zion are afraid, and fearfulness has surprised the hypocrites. Who among us shall live with the devouring fire? Who 
among us shall dwell with the everlasting burnings. God is described as an everlasting fire. The only place that you find everlasting fire is with God and with the saved. Here's an interesting point for you very, very quickly to finish off with. The Bible says that the righteous shall shine like the stars, and a star shines by burning. The only ones that are going to be burning forever will be the righteous. Something new I learned uh, just the other night. Anyway, this is uh, Matt Minicus. Welcome back, guys. Uh, that was Manic Matt Minicus, and we have a uh, a free giveaway that comes at the end of the show. We have come to the end of the show, and Harley is just um, just jumping out of his seat with the book that he is about to tell you all about. Okay, so Harley, tell us all about this book. Just be the first caller through right now. One eight hundred three two four eight four three is the number, and this book is yours. What have you got there for us, there, Harley? All right. So this book goes along with everything we've been talking about in our uh, encounter with God section. It's all. This book is not a self-help book. Okay, it's not a self-help. It's not a self-help book. This is a book, an other help book. This is a book if you want to learn what it means to serve, to break the bonds of wickedness, to help the oppressed go free, to heal the brokenhearted, and uh, and those who are are feeling sick and and bound. If you want to know how to you know properly raise your family, if you want to know properly how to help people. Uh-huh. Jesus did. Follow the example of Jesus. This is a book that you need to read. It's called The Ministry of Healing by a lady by, by the name Ellen White. It is not a self-help book. This is a book that will help you help others. Okay. How is that not a self-help book? Okay, ah, so, see, uh, I'm splitting hairs here now, aren't I? Yes, because yes, but it's it, self-help uh, by by as a byproduct. Yes, as a self-help by as a byproduct. Mm. And the key here 
is that this is the only actual true self-help that you'll ever get. If you're focusing on yourself, you will never actually achieve your goal. But when you focus on helping others, you will be able to achieve your goal. All right, give us a call. Be the first caller through. 1-800-324-843 is the number to call. Uh, and, uh, and, and give us a call right now to get your free copy of The Ministry of Healing. Learn how to help others. Learn how to live for others. And in doing so, you will learn how to live like Jesus lived his life. You have 